It's the 2nd of May, 2015, and this is episode 209. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. What cryptocurrency enables is new, empowering, and exciting, but we're not experts. Just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice-weekly show about the ideas, people, and projects empowering Bitcoin along with the cryptocurrency movement at large. My name is Adam B. Levine. I'm the editor-in-chief here at LTB, and today we're talking about what really belongs in a blockchain. We join LTB correspondent Matthew Zipkin for another alternative token exploration. This time, it's Syscoin, which in a nutshell aims to tackle the altcoin utility problem by taking in-demand features like decentralized marketplaces, asset issuance, and interesting transaction types unlike what you'd find in the original Bitcoin blockchain and rolling it into a single blockchain that's able to do all of these things and more. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin. This is Matthew Zipkin. And today we're joined by Dan Waslick and Sebastian Shepis. These are two of the lead team members for the Syscoin project. How's it going, guys? Good. How are you, Matthew? I'm good. Thanks. So, Sebastian, you are the creator of this project and the lead core dev. Why don't you give us the executive summary on what you guys are trying to do here with Syscoin? Sure. Uh, Syscoin is a Bitcoin 2.0 coin. And what we're focused on is we're focused on expanding what the Bitcoin blockchain technology can do past just monetary funds transfer to using the blockchain to perform more sophisticated transactions that can be used as a basis for the crypto economy. Stuff like, for example, uh, having the ability to create a distributed marketplace where people can buy and sell things directly on the blockchain, a means to establish oneself as a certificate issuer and issue distributed certificates using the blockchain itself, a means of creating digital assets directly on the blockchain. These are the kinds of features that Syscoin is focused on. And that's basically our goals right now is to take blockchain technology and expand it out into Bitcoin 2.0 functionality that people can use to start building real applications on. Okay, great. So first and foremost, it is its own coin. It is its own blockchain. It's a script-based coin, right? So somewhere there's a a fork of Litecoin or where did you start? That's right. I started with Litecoin and did a lot of research into Namecoin to build uh, Syscoin itself. So I started with a, a modified Litecoin core Actually, it was based on something called World Script Coin, which I don't know if you've ever heard of, but that's a script coin that has a uh, merge mining component in it, which we modified and we made uh, Syscoin a, a universally merge mineable coin, which is part of why we have such a high network hash rate at the moment. So yeah, we started with basically the Litecoin core, added merge mining capability, and also added expanded functionality in terms of the types of transactions that can be transmitted across the network. Started basically by studying how Namecoin worked and then expanded functionality from there. Is the Litecoin Namecoin origin, did you choose that because of the merged mining code that was already written for those blockchains? That's right. Well, I had a few design goals in mind when I started building Syscoin. I wanted to leverage as much script network hash rate as I could out there. And that really meant creating a merged mineable script coin. So I I went with 
the Litecoin core and, you know, and then added merge mining onto it. And then from there, started integrating capabilities from Namecoin, studied how Namecoin, for example, does its name registration. And we took a lot of those particular concepts and expanded them to store more complex data structures on the blockchain so that we could represent things like certificates, offers, uh, payments, things like that, offer payments, assets, things that are more complex. Obviously, I definitely want to get into how the marketplace works and things like that. But before we do, I'm kind of curious about merge mining. And I don't know if all of our listeners really know exactly how that works. But you made an interesting decision there because it's a lot easier to bootstrap a blockchain without your own army of miners when it's easy just to merge mine. So maybe you can explain a little bit the theory on merge mining and maybe more specifically how you've implemented it. Sure. Essentially, merge mining works by capitalizing on the fact that uh, mining is occurring on a script coin, and you can use the work that's been generated on one blockchain as work on your own, essentially. Like you said, why did we do that? We wanted to get as much network coverage as possible to secure our blockchain as quickly as possible. Uh, in terms of the details about how merge mining is performed, there is an auxiliary proof of work that is OxPow, essentially, that is that goes on at work there. Does the hash of the Syscoin block appear in the Litecoin blockchain? Absolutely not. Okay. Is it the other way around? Essentially, yes. Okay. So if I got a copy of the Syscoin blockchain, I can look, I'm trying to see if a miner did the proof of work correctly. And instead of seeing hash and a nonce and proof of work on a Syscoin block, I see the Litecoin block combined with the Syscoin block. And that whole mess is in the Syscoin block. Essentially, yes. So that's cool. So you're able to bootstrap. And when it comes to merge mining, is it unusual for a coin to merge mine with multiple coins? No, not at all. Like for example, Doggy Coin, Do, uh, Doggy Coin is a is a great or Doge Coin. I never know how to say it. is a is a fantastic example of that. They made a decision to be universally merge mineable because they just needed they needed to secure their network because their hash rate was falling down. So, okay, cool. And is there a reason why you went with a Script Coin instead of a SHA two fifty six coin? That was a big reason why. That was because of the timing itself. At the time, when, just when we were going to release Syscoin itself, essentially w is when the script ASIC boom hit. We, we were aware that it was coming. We knew it was coming. And, you know, I saw it as a great mechanism to secure Syscoin's hash rate very quickly. Here was an opportunity. You know, the script scene was about to have an ASIC boom. There were a lot of people were talking about this as though it was going to be a a disastrous occurrence because GPU miners were going to get shut out essentially. I saw it as a huge opportunity because here the network was about to expand greatly and all you had to do really to take advantage of that is to be able to essentially piggyback your own hashing on top of it, you know, any other coins uh, mining and you, you'd be set. So that's why we went with merge mining and that's why we picked script because there was that opportunity. And so I have to say that's one of the things that I feel like we've achieved pretty well in terms of securing our network. I don't remember what our current figures are, but... Okay, so the the real magic of Syscoin is you've developed certain new types of transaction messages that can be sent between nodes and stored in the blockchain. So why don't we start talking about those? Let's talk about the marketplace. So this is a, a way to buy and sell items in the physical world. 
Absolutely. You can sell items in the physical world and you can also sell digital goods as well. It's really up to you. The offers is what we're calling them are a fairly flexible, it's a fairly flexible mechanism for really listing any kind of item that you want on the blockchain. So an offer essentially consists of a category, uh, an offer name, offer quantity, offer price, and uh, an offer description. So with that, you can pretty much list any kind of items you want. You can also, once you've created an offer, you can update the offer later on down the line and you know add to your existing quantity if you wanna, if it has been depleted through purchases and change the description if you want to. And then as people are purchasing the offer itself, they issue a command which issues a transaction which pays for that offer, delivering a message which you can encrypt with whatever information you want back to the seller as well as payment for that offer itself and that will then deduct from the offer quantity that everybody else can see on the network is the message encryption native with the client or is that something you have to arrange outside of the blockchain it's something you have to arrange outside of the blockchain at the moment we do have some plans in the future to provide that functionality if you wanted so that if you want to enable some type of encryption directly, uh, but we haven't really gone into a detailed design on that yet. So for now, people, if they want to encrypt information on their offer payments, they can use PGP. Okay. So if I wanted to sell my car on Syscoin, I would go category car and I'd say, I'm driving this Honda Accord, it's blue, and I could list the mileage and it's been in this accident. I can put all this stuff in the description and all that text goes in the transaction, goes peer-to-peer, goes in the blockchain? That's correct. Okay, interesting. And then if somebody wants to buy the car, they send me the money directly and then the money is gone from their account and I just have it? There is, Or is there some type of escrow? You just have it currently. Offer payments are direct. We are working on a trustless escrow as well as an assisted escrow with a human in the middle, but that's not part of the offer system at the moment. Yeah, it seems like this is a really difficult problem to solve in the space because I was listening to the interview with the Open Bazaar developers recently, and the idea of having like a human escrow still seems sort of not safe to me, especially if it's another stranger on tour. Maybe he has a good reputation, but if I take your money, I don't give you the car, then what is that escrow agent going to do? Right. You're just going to pick one guy or the other and, you know, it's a 50% chance. So I was thinking like, well, what if we just had the blockchain flip a coin? And if there's, you know, you basically would have a 50% chance of either being ripped off or not if the transaction didn't go according to the plan. Well, we, we've talked about two different versions of escrow, which is, you know, the trustless escrow, which I think some other coins such as Blackcoin, BitHalo have implemented. And then also, you know, some type of arbiter based escrow, which is what you're describing, where you have this third party that's determining if the merchant should retain the money or if, or if the buyer should be refunded. And in both of those services or capabilities that we would like to be able to deliver through through Syscoin service architecture. Um, what we were thinking for trustless design, at least, is that both parties have have something to lose in the transaction. So in the process of completing the transaction, a portion of the funds for the purchase would be held until the buyer receives the item and essentially says that you know they received the item and then the funds are released to the seller. The whole design of that is something we're still working out, you know, um, if it'll be dynamic so that the seller can specify exactly how much they want to escrow, buyers have the visibility into how much would be escrowed. And so if the seller is offering to escrow 100% of the cost, 
that gives you some, I think, implicit trust in that transaction. Whereas if you have sellers that say they only want to escrow 5% of the cost, you might have less trust in that transaction. And, and in that setup, there would be no third party. It would be both two parties involved in the transaction, both put up something that they would lose if things don't work out as planned. In the arbiter-based escrow where you have a third party, that's an interesting situation because like you were saying, people can be swayed. There's also, you hold a lot of power as an arbiter, especially if it's a big transaction that's being overseen. And in that type of setup, we were thinking arbiters would have to hold some amount, proportional amount of syscoin such that they lock that away. And as that's locked away, they can act as an arbiter. The amount that they lock away may directly relate to the size of purchases, which they can act as an arbiter for. And then by using the history of escrow, be it trustless or arbiter based, uh, you start to get a repu- an implicit reputation provided by the blockchain as to a certain merchant's reliability or not. You know, if you see that 90% of their escrow transaction, regardless of what flavor of escrow they use, or 90% of their transactions period are not successfully closed via escrow in a prescribed amount of time, which is like an acceptable amount of time for an item to be delivered, you know that their reputation isn't very isn't very reliable. And we'll have APIs so that developers will be able to access that information and then display it in user interfaces that that really bring it to the forefront and light to you know, it's a reputation system, essentially like that of eBay or Amazon. But instead of the reviews being on a per item basis, they're they're on a per seller basis. It's a really interesting problem to solve because we have all this great cryptographic technology, but there's still no way to cryptographically prove that I got the socks that you said you were going to mail me. And there's plenty of room for buyers and sellers to sort of screw each other over. And it seems like you guys are, are working on some interesting ideas. Either, you know, you, both parties put up a bond or the arbiter puts up a bond or uh, yeah. So is there a reputation system just for buyers and sellers as of now? Not currently. That was something that we, we definitely discussed when it came because it was something that came up um, with the community as we were as we were launching and people were asking questions about it since, you know, a lot of this is still unfortunately at the, at the QT console level or at the Daemon console level with the 1.6 wallet release, we're really going to be surfacing all of these features that we've had live on the main network since the launch in August, but unfortunately, it's just it's it's hidden down in commands that you know average users aren't going to be aren't going to be executing. But when it comes to reputation, we didn't want to build that into the system because as we design all these features, you know the size of the blockchain and where this data is stored and how the storage of that data impacts the network and miners and the cost of maintaining the network and all that. It's something that's always playing in our in our mind as as we talk about these new features. And having reputation merely be something that any person who executes a purchase can enter into the blockchain as a reputation entry against a given merchant, that's something that can be gamed in a way that escrow cannot be. And so we really deferred any kind of native reputation implementation inside of the actual blockchain till we get to that escrow point because we believe that escrow will provide you with an implicit reputation system. And for those who want a larger reputation system, that's something that's totally a value-added service that any developer can layer on top of Syscoin's blockchain. You know, you have a MySQLite database that has reputation entries related to merchant addresses. Right, or, or websites that might create, you know, market communities around the Syscoin blockchain might start tracking reputation based on, you know, the seller who, who sets up a, a seller alias and starts selling products under that particular alias. What we wanted to do was at least create a 
basis by which these communities could be created, uh, these marketplaces could be created, and value-added service services built on top of the Syscoin blockchain. You know, these value-added services would probably where you know the profit would be generated in terms of you know third parties setting up marketplaces like or creating that website. You know, that's just a, a list of Syscoin seller index or something like that. You know, that, that's just all kinds of aliases of sellers on the Syscoin network and their relative rating and, and feedback. And, and you could have some small membership fee or kickback for people who take the time to contribute a reputation entry. Sure. But as we know, centralized marketplaces with reputation systems, even if they're hidden services on Tor, can still be shut down by the authorities if they don't like the content. Right. Sure. But if you, uh, on Syscoin, if you are, for example, if you've created a seller alias and you called yourself Danosphere, that particular seller alias can't be taken away from you in, in any way because you own that as a, you know, as a key in your wallet. And you can use that alias to then get payments anywhere on the Syscoin network and sell goods with a payment address of that alias. So people know that it's you. Like, you know, no matter what website or front end they go through in order to get to a product. Okay, so in the same style as any cryptographic public ledger that we have, I, I can look up Danosphere and I can see everything he's ever sold, right? I can see how many cars he sold or DVDs or serial numbers or whatever. It's all his orders will be there. And I'll be able to see that people keep buying from him. Yep. Maybe that's a type of reputation in and of itself. It is. If nobody's buying from you, it's usually a pretty good indication that you, you suck as a seller. <laughs> and, and that's also something, you know, with Syscoin, you know, we looked at a lot of competition and designs that competition were planning to execute. And we felt that a lot of competing designs were, were very prescriptive in how how things work, you know, how your item gets onto the marketplace, if it's allowed to be put on the marketplace and things like that. And with Syscoin, we really didn't want to be prescriptive because in our minds and in reality, this is some uncharted territory here when it comes to decentralized marketplaces on the blockchain. And we didn't want to be the ones to immediately start imposing rules on this completely new realm of uh, opportunity. And so because of that, things are things are very loose with, with Syscoin. The description field, for example, is just a description field, but we still, within the Syscoin community, have developed a JSON description spec. And so, you know, this block market that we're talking about is a web front end that's meant to consume offers that conform to this specification, which is, you know, a, a JSON layout of all kinds of information that you can have about an item, be it digital or physical rather than making those all unique entities within this transaction type. You know, that, that just makes it more flexible for people who simply want to do something that's digital. You know, they don't need a ship to address. They don't need a shipping method or delivery, you know, several of these fields that physical goods need. And so because of that, we didn't want to be prescriptive like that. And so um, things are things are very flexible right now in the Syscoin marketplace structure so that we can see how it evolves and, and where the needs are. Interesting. The purchaser, like the shipping address or the email address of the buyer, that's also in, in a different type of transaction, which goes into the peers and goes into the blockchain as well, right? That's correct. Yes. Uh, when you pay for a, a Syscoin offer, what you're going to do is you're going to be able to leave a description back to the seller, right? That description is then going to contain whatever you want it to, whether that's an email address or a physical address or any other means of contact. You can do that. Payment itself is delivered with that particular transaction. 
Today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin is brought to you by the LTB Companion Multi-Token Wallet. It's a Bitcoin wallet that lives in your Chrome browser that can hold a thousand types of tokens in one simple account. If you've already installed the wallet, you should notice it's automatically updated to version 0.3.1 since the last time I updated you. Basically, this adds the LTB network directory. So now if you don't know the exact LTB username of the person you'd like to send tokens to, you can visit the apps tab within the wallet, select the LTBN directory, and search through the membership by partial name. In the future, you'll be able to easily search for members within the directory using other types of information, like their real name, Bitcoin address on file, or email address. And remember, if you've signed up for the LTB Coin Rewards program and did not make your information private, then anyone can send Bitcoin or other assets directly to your username instead of worrying about finding your Bitcoin address. Of course, all this happens on the Bitcoin blockchain. The directory just automatically looks up and replaces your username with the recipient's sending information. Last thing, if you've been listening to the show for a while now and want to get involved with any of our efforts, email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com and I'll help you find the right person and project. On another note, it's time for today's magic word. The magic word for episode 209 is built. That's B-U-I-L-T. Built. You've got until the 9th of May to visit letstalkbitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener rewards. And now, back to the show. Every day on the forums, I see people asking about decentralized marketplaces and open bazaar because every time the feds shut down another dark net market, it's like we got to figure out the decentralized solution. So how are you guys going to compete? Do you think this is it? Well, I mean, we're definitely in our endeavors with Ciscoin. We certainly want to take the power away from those centralized authorities in that in that way to, you know, we think people should be able to sell what they want to sell. And, and you know, we don't say what's what's right or wrong when it comes to things that are sold, but we think that this technology is a way to empower merchants, not only in selling their own goods, but as people may have seen from some of our blog posts, there are a number of different modes that these marketplaces can run in. You can have your own public marketplace where everything's public and anyone on the network can just buy it whenever they want. You can have your you can have private marketplaces where all of the offers are completely encrypted. And until a user logs in, you know, your private key is then used uh, on the inside, so to speak, after you log in to decrypt those offers and see what's really for sale. And then purchases can be executed from there. And then you've also got this option for curated markets where you yourself may not be selling anything, but you've gone out and you found all of the best items that are still for sale in the fashion vertical um, that are that are on the Cisco network. And you've set up a market and you decide to take two Cis curation commission, essentially, for curating all of those items into one place for people to find instead of uh, instead of scattered out across however many marketplaces that they may be scattered out across. Those capabilities are some of the flexibilities that, that the Syscoin marketplace offers, but also those are capabilities that we really want to try to push towards the mainstream. In the roadmap, we have plans to build plugins for sites like Magento and PrestaShop and OpenCart so that you can, with one click, bidirectionally sync either an inventory that you already have on your OpenCart, Magento, etc., um, e-commerce website to the Syscoin decentralized marketplace, or vice versa. If you have a number of items that you've already set up, let's say through Block Market, with one click, you can easily have those then set up on a Prestashop type of implementation to give you that type of that type of presentation when it comes to buying and selling and some of the inventory management that those e-commerce systems bring, but ultimately always having the ability to 
have your inventory backed up to the Syscoin blockchain, have people, you, you could you could have people, that, that's part of the beauty of the decentralization of the Syscoin marketplace is that when your item is listed on the Syscoin marketplace, someone else could be selling it, collecting a, you know, a small commission on top of it, but in the end, you're getting the payment for it. And so you could be running your PrestaShop e-commerce-based website that is everything that's always been familiar to you. You've installed the block market plugin and synced your inventory to the Syscoin decentralized marketplace on the blockchain. And without even doing any work, people are finding your items and listing them on their marketplaces or, or, or just finding them naturally and purchasing them. And then you're receiving Sys for those purchases. So there are certainly applications for it within the darknet space, but that's definitely not the, uh, the core target audience for what we're going for here. We think that when it comes to where technology can be used and, and where kind of um, the large funding is for these types of endeavors, we think that you know the darknet crowd is certainly a, a small but vocal majority. And there's a lot more opportunity with, with the mainstream if you can make these technologies accessible enough and, and reduce the amount of friction to entry. Okay, that's cool. And I like that you've gone with the name block market. It's block market, not black market, right? <laughs> that's right. Okay. And so block market is a feature of Syscoin or you're calling it a plugin? I'm not really sure. So literally just a, it's intended to be a kind of like a bootstrap web implementation on top of what's already there inside of Syscoin to give people a front-end experience, not only as, as a buyer, so you can purchase items from someone's items that someone has posted on their own wallet onto the Syscoin network, but also that as a user, because right now in, in the Syscoin QT wallet, admittedly, we don't have the best experience for adding and editing items. And we don't really plan on evolving that QT experience much further because we're looking to transition to a completely new wallet that's that's coming with version 1.6 of, of Syscoin. And that will put these user-friendly interfaces on top of all of our services, you know, not only the marketplace, but also aliases, data, and certificate issuance. But when it comes to block market specifically, it's just a bootstrap style web interface for people to get their own marketplace up and running, easily add items through interfaces most people would expect to see. You click add item, you have a form, you type in all the properties of the item, and you click add, and then it's added to the blockchain. And really, just to get people up and going and, and try to pick up traction with block market service usage, because right now having it hidden behind the QT console veil uh, makes it so people don't even know it's there sometimes. Gotcha. So are there any block market websites right now? Can I type something into a browser and see stuff for sale on Syscoin? People have been setting them up. Um, we do have our marketplace, which is located at syscoin.market. All of our other items have sold out. You can see that on our on our homepage, we have the Xbox code, which is still available. There's still 995 of those available. But if, but if you have the Syscoin beta 4, the 1.5.2 beta 4 client running, and you go to syscoin.market and click on the item there on the on the homepage, you can actually click buy item and using this protocol called URIs, we're able to communicate directly with your local wallet. And of course it's environment specific. So we're still working out some bugs related to this. If you're in Linux or certain versions of Windows, we've, we've noticed some issues with this, but you'll be able to click that buy item button right there in the browser. And it should communicate with your local wallet and spawn a prompt to confirm the purchase. And it'll deduct the amount of, of Syscoin from your wallet, depending on the amount that you're trying to purchase and complete the purchase on the network. So on the listing page, I don't see one on this right now, but presumably there would be a public key to encrypt my delivery information to the seller? Yes, if, if, you, click, if you click buy item, it'll actually spawn a, another dialogue that has prompts for email and a note to the seller. 
in in there there's an encryption recommended link that that takes you to a page that gives you the pgp public key for this specific block mark okay i see oh that's very cool and then the delivery of the item obviously in the physical space is not automated right right that's not automated right now but certainly when it comes to digital goods that's something that we're very much talking about since we do have the ability to store certain digital assets on our blockchain the the ability to link a digital asset with an offer and facilitate delivery of that when an offer has been purchased is certainly something we're talking about right now but at the moment we're, we're, we're really just focusing on getting the block market out in its initial release making sure that merchants are able to get it set up ironing out any problems people are having getting it set up and making it as user-friendly as possible to set up since there is some technical knowledge needed to set this up. It's, it is a website. It uses things like Node, and you've got to run some Node commands to get everything installed. But ironing all that stuff out so that when this does hit the main net um, within the next month or so, merchants will be ready, and it won't be going through this exercise of, of everyone you know just first getting their hands on it at that point. Merchants should be pretty well familiar with it by then. So we're hoping to see traction pick up right from the get-go once it hits mainnet. Okay, cool. And how far along are you on the digital assets? What are the specs on that? So digital assets are actually already working on, on our blockchain right now in, in beta four. They still need some tweaks, but what, what it is is it's essentially an expanded version of our alias feature, which allows you to associate a user-friendly name as a payment address. So you can make payments directly to, you know, Danisphere or Matthew rather than S with some bunch of strings of characters after it. So the data alias feature expands that, you know, what we call name aliases or, or the, you know, Dan Sphere and, and Matthew, those would be name aliases. And what we refer to as data aliases are a larger type of alias, which allows you to specify a file name and store up to 250 kilobytes of data on the blockchain itself. And you're charged a fee for the actual storage, like just to execute the command and then you are charged per kilobyte so that you know scale is taken into taken into account with that fee structure and i just want to say too that we do have this concept of asset creation itself which is the ability to create digital asset token like coins directly on top of the syscoin blockchain but that's a little different than what we're talking about now and that's in alpha currently okay okay so yeah that's what i didn't understand so let's say like the counterparty style assets where anybody can generate a currency and define its parameters, that is still under development. Yeah, that's in alpha under development currently. Yeah. So you have a data alias. Well, what kind of data am I going to put into a data alias? Well, I mean, really, whatever you want, data aliases themselves can be used for all kinds of things, data or document exchange. You can store a little bit of data on the blockchain itself. And then, for example, in the use case that Dan is talking about, I think that, you know, if you're buying some type of digital good, like digital information, then one of the possibilities might be to use a data alias to actually store that information, you know, encrypted. And then as somebody actually purchases it uh, using a Syscoin offer, then you would have some type of script that would then if you wanted to automate the process, right, you would have some type of script that would look for offer payments back from your users, look at that information and and then deliver deliver the user back a key to decrypt that data. That would be one of the ways to do it. But data aliases themselves are, are just a means of storing a little bit more information than you could with a regular Syscoin alias, which is essentially a key value pair as well as a payment destination. Data aliases are essentially a expanded version of that that store allow you to store a little bit more information on the blockchain essentially a, a key 
value and data. So it's a, a more like a triple, if you will. So I'm, I'm assuming when you make an offer, that's a transaction type, but you're not actually sending any syscoin to anyone. So I guess how do the miners get their fees? How is a transaction, you know, spam proof? When you create a syscoin offer, uh, you are charged a service fee for doing so. So that service fee is is essentially burned in the transaction, right? It's it's essentially sent to off return, but it is then regenerated in block rewards over the next 24 hours. So it's returned to miners in that way. So for example, if a Dan, what's the current offer new fee? On the CakeNet, where we've been doing most of the beta work right now, it's 25 sys, I believe. So as a, you, as a user, every time you create a new offer, it's going to cost you 25 sys. That 25 sys is consumed when the offer is created, but that fee is tracked and then returned back to miners over the next 24 hours, essentially. So miners will receive the base mining fee, mining reward, which is currently, I believe, 96 syscoin, in addition, and in, on top of that, whatever Syscoin service fees were generated. It's interesting that you're spreading out the fee over, I forget how many blocks you said, but it, instead of just the miner of the block in which you created the transaction getting the whole fee, it's it's spread out. What's the motivation behind that? Uh, to essentially average out those fees of for every miner. So that you, you, could, you, could, you could argue that, you know, who, uh, whoever mined that particular offer fee should get all of it. But then what about the other miners that are sitting there uh, securing the Syscoin network and having to store the data that that offer represents? Uh, we felt that because the Syscoin blockchain is a, is larger and requires more storage, all of everybody who is helping to to make the Syscoin network to secure it should, should receive a portion of the fees that are generated on that on the network. I like that. It's a good good way to spread the love. So as new blocks are added, there's kind of like an unclaimed value of mining rewards that gets distributed with every block a little bit more comes out, but there's still more unclaimed rewards to be had in future blocks. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Everybody gets a little bit of juice, right, for that one offer because everybody's going to have to store that extra data in that transaction somewhere, right? And that costs something. In Namecoin, when you register a name, those coins are destroyed, right? They are destroyed and they're not, they are not regenerated like Syscoin does. I see. So uh, that's a, I would call that an improvement. I think that's a good idea. And I'm not sure actually, does Namecoin have a cap? Is it a 21 million coin cap? I believe it's 21 million, just like Bitcoin, but I could be really wrong. And Yeah, that's sort of interesting. That sort of implies that at some point, 100 years in the future, nobody will be able to register, uh, like all the name coins will be gone and they'll all be used up, or maybe that's 200 years in the future. But Right, if the services are used heavily, it's like all those coins are getting burned too. Right, and since Syscoin is a service, it's a service-oriented coin uh, where you know we expect that people will be using Syscoin to use their services. So more syscoin is going to get destroyed so that needs to be regenerated in some way is there a cap on syscoin we have a two currently a two billion coin coin cap two billion coins will be uh, will be generated but it's something like over dan something like over 200 100 years <laughs> yeah <laughs> bless us all for around in 100 years to see uh, what happens when the when the bitcoin block subsidies run out and all these other coins when the subsidies run out Okay, but in, in Syscoin, the coins are regenerated. They're not just burnt forever, so there you know, there's some persistence. I mean, coins are used up in these transactions, which are the whole purpose of Syscoin to begin with. So we felt it necessary to re regenerate them in some way or another. Otherwise, uh, coin supplies 
diminishing as the coin is being used. Some people would argue that might be a good thing. I, I don't know. We felt that we probably should keep a balance of coin around and regenerate those. Yeah, I mean, that that's the point. So, you know, God bless if we're still around after 100 years, you know, that once the subsidies run out, there's still going to be subsidy, um, not new coin, but regenerated coin from everyone using all these service features. And, you know, in 100 years, we'll have people with a ton of traction on this so we won't have to worry about the subsidy return from regen regenerated fees as we call them is going to be much higher than anything returned from just normal proof of work fees so where is this coin available for purchase now so um, we're currently on a number of exchanges the main exchanges that we are listed on would be uh bitrix of course we're on poloniex we're also on Cripsy, BTC38, Altcoin, LazyCoins, and Atomic Trade. We may be on a few other exchanges, and I'm sorry if I forgot to mention you, but those are definitely the highest volume exchanges for us in terms of trade volume and, and where you can get some coins. Cool. Have you seen any really interesting transactions happen? Uh, has anybody bought something really expensive on the marketplace yet? Not yet, because to be honest with you, the marketplace is in one of those phases where we do have a live implementation of it already out and operational on the mainnet, but we have so many improvements that have happened through our beta program that we do have you know, an enhancement fork planned for towards the end of May. And that introduces just so many new features that can only be used right now on our testnet, you know, what we call the CakeNet chain. It's a special type of testnet that allows us to drive Syscoin services faster in order to get an iterative test feedback faster. But because all of that is mainly available only on the test blockchain and the stuff that's on mainnet is not currently very accessible in terms of user interface we haven't seen a whole lot of big purchases or crazy transactions there's been a lot of kind of testing out the waters and stuff but when it comes to people using things on the test chain the team has actually been running some of our own promotions where we sell some items through syscoin.market for tsys or testsys which is just like uh you know bitcoin on the testnet which isn't real syscoin but it is something that can be used just like real syscoin would be used just on a different network and we have sold uh, a few mugs a few usb sticks and some xbox codes and i think we've got another round of phone cases and, and other types of swag available just to kind of give people something for Helping to test this stuff out, you know, this is this is a new stuff. And when you're in a decentralized computing environment, the more nodes you have interacting with all these features, the better. And so because of that, even though the sys that they're using to purchase these items is really worth nothing, it's just, you know, test this coin, you can buy it or sell it on Bitrix or anything like that. We still do fully package up and ship out all these mugs and USB sticks and things to people who uh, complete the purchase form correctly. That's cool. And you have a one minute block time, right? It's a pretty fast coin. Yeah, it is a pretty fast coin. And what's nice about an, an improvement that was actually made as we moved from 1.5.2 beta 3 to beta 4 is that we were able to cut down the number of transactions that are required across all of our services from being sort of a two-step design to being a, a one-step design. There's still a few issues we're, we're ironing out with, with that improvement, but it's led to overall being able to uh, scale the blockchain long term without it getting as large as it would be with the two-step design. And it's also led to 100% faster transaction times because you no longer have to wait for the first command to be confirmed before executing the second command. Gotcha. You know, I, I just had a thought. I'm not really thinking this through entirely, but what happens if somebody, I don't know, double spends a offer transaction. Yeah, I don't know. Make I guess I guess nothing, right? You just make an offer and I mean an offer can always be canceled in the future, I imagine, right? If you if you decide not to sell your product. You could you could zero out the quantity. Uh, okay. There would be no no way to purchase it at that point. Okay, so a double spending an offer is like it's nothing happens. Nobody loses any money, nobody gains any money. 
No, th there is an issue we are working out though, where if you have two nodes that execute a purchase concurrently at, at you know, within the, we're talking within two seconds of each other, there may be uh, some quantity discrepancies when it comes to who's purchased what and who is in first, but that's something that we're working out on, on the beta chain and we'll have resolved by beta five. Okay, cool. Interesting. What else have you guys got? Are there any other, uh, any other things you're excited about for the future or? Uh, joining Supernet is something that we we recently announced just just yesterday, actually, or just this Saturday, and that's something that's really exciting for us because it was something that we looked into earlier on, like right around the time of launch. But we wanted to iron out some of these items we had going on internally, since you know we're we're, we're paving new ground here, and we want to make sure that we've got that solid before becoming part of a network and possibly introducing issues that we hadn't fully vetted out yet into their network, right? So we made sure everything was solid with our coin and now everything is solid. Things have been working great for the past few months. And also we've got the stuff with block market really rolling forward with some really big design improvements and, and plans for several releases over the next few months that really have us excited about not only the services we're bringing to the community at large and how these are leveraged both in the mainstream and in, in other channels, but also what the 1.6 release will do for traction, you know, because for the longest time we've had this tool set that we've provided to people that has largely gone unleveraged. Um, and a lot of people call this out when they come into our Slack and they, you know, they say, why is this going, you know, price so low and there's all these features. And it's really because these features are hidden behind QT console and to any user who's not in the technical space, that's features that don't exist essentially. And what 1.6 will do will bring all those features to the forefront and it'll give you, it's really nice, you know, it, it, we should be able to share some uh, screenshots of it here over the next, uh, maybe within the next few weeks. But it's got things like, you know, dashboards that show your balance over time with, with nice graphs for all that. It shows all of the items you have for sale, purchase history, things related to your aliases that you own, when they're going to expire, data that you've stored, certificates that you own, and certificates that you've issued. So all this rich information that's currently available within the Syscoin blockchain is going to be surfaced in 1.6. And that's why with the 1.5 enhancement fork release, we really want to make sure that we get as many improvements into that as possible because we know that with 1.6 and, and traction and improving so much that getting big enhancement forks in is, is going to be more difficult as we move forward. And then moving into the future, it's it's creating use cases that really showcase what Syscoin can do. I mean, we can say that, you know, we, we have the, the ability to, to do distributed certificate issuance on our, our blockchain, but what does that really mean to people? Uh, you know, if we show them use cases that are something like, you know, use Syscoin to implement implement uh, software licenses or, or, t or ticket sales or implement a raffle using Syscoin certificates, that makes it a little bit more real for people and people can start going, oh, okay, that could possibly use the Syscoin blockchain to actually implement this particular functionality that I'm trying to do rather than let them figure out the use case. So that, that's, that's going to, I think, going to be a lot of the bulk of our work. Because with what we have already, you can do a lot, but we really, it's our responsibility to show people what you can do with it. And you mentioned you were joining Supernet. Why don't you explain what that is? That brings the entire feature set of Syscoin to other Supernet coins. And so what you should be able to do in the future, and they've just released, you know, they do have a beta wallet available for, for the Supernet wallet, is it enables you to leverage capabilities service capabilities between different coins so you could say use bitcoin dark being another member of their of their network you could use bitcoin darks uh, anonymous transaction functionality and and use that to purchase a syscoin offer through their instadex uh, technology and also teleport 
they're able to basically convert between two currencies on their network in near real time to make communications on the blockchain occur and, and, and secure services between blockchains. And they're creating this island of blockchains through this teleport technology. So Supernet is, is it a centralized exchange or is it a wallet or is it just a community? I'm a little confused. It's a community of coins that is pseudo centralized through their wallet and their, their wallet is what allows all these blockchains to communicate with each other. Okay, so Supernet is, is client software. Yes, they do have their own client software that, that enables a lot of communication. Okay, and do you have to download and run the blockchains for all the coins you want to interact with? I'm not positive if you have to download and install the blockchains for all the coins you want to interact with. I think it may be something more akin to them having the blockchains running on a server that the client connects to. But the client is still in beta, and, and we're honestly still getting familiar with all the inner workings of it ourselves. And so I don't want to speak anything incorrectly technically. So I'm, I'm not really sure. That's cool. How did you guys handle your initial distribution? Are you keeping a piece for the developers? Yeah, I mean, as, as far as initial distribution goes, some developers on the team have already been paid for, for work that's been done. And of course, they're being paid in SIS and everyone on the team holds their coins. And then we have a certain portion of coins were allocated to the Supernet team because they need to have a, a certain buffer of coins to facilitate some of the capabilities that are just enabled by their network. And then they hold the rest of the coins as an investment in the coins that participate in their network. And so we perform that transaction off market so as to not artificially inflate the market or anything like that. And then the rest we have saved as an ongoing development fund for the team as we move forward. That's essentially the incentive to continue to grow the value in Syscoin. We have a large allocation of, of funds from the pre-mine um, in Sys. And as we move forward from release milestone to release milestone, we have a process for determining how much of that should be allocated and, and how that should be distributed to developers. And as we move through each release, that's, that's what we do to, to keep driving people to push the, you know, push the needle even farther when it comes to innovation within Syscoin to drive that value up because it's all value that's coming back to them. Is there anything else you guys want to add? It sounds like you've got uh, a lot of work ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, a lot of work. Ahead. Um, I, th I think one thing to add is, you know, people see these fees with Syscoin, and that's certainly something that is right now just a fixed fee. But people have often asked questions about how will those fees scale as, you know, say the price of Syscoin goes up. And currently our plan for that, and this is something that's also going to be introduced in the 1.5.3 release, which is part of that, that enhancement fork, is fees will be fixed right now. But if the value of, of Syscoin goes up, make it so that our offer pricing is no longer competitive with eBay or Amazon or whoever our competition may be. You know, At that point, we may be looking at other crypto competition that's really doing decentralized markets on the blockchain. But if that does become the situation, we are going to structure offer pricing such that it can be dynamically updated on the fly. And those types of updates will definitely be done through community consensus. Either, you know, the dev team can raise that they feel that prices may be getting too high to, to keep us competitive. Miners can raise issue or the community itself can raise issue. And then there would be a, a voting process that takes place. And then we would modify fees based on uh, what the community consensus is. That That's another thing that in the design of all of this, you're talking about spamming attacks and things like that when it comes to pricing and fees on, on the chain. Definitely being able to dynamically modify the fees as needed as price and value change is something that we have thought about thoroughly as we've gone into this and also trying to do it in as much of a decentralized way as possible 
as we get into assets and things like that, we'll be able to decentralize it even further. But for now, the community consensus route is, is I think, the best way we can do it. Sure. So when you do a pre-mine like that, is it just one transaction in the Genesis block and then the regular mining rewards continue after that point? Exactly. That's exactly what it was. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us, you guys. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Matthew. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's episode was provided by Dan, Sebastian, and Matthew. Music for this episode was provided by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. This episode was edited by Matthew Zipkin. Any questions or comments, email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Have a good one.